the first ever sermon I preached was in 2004 as a leader of a high school ministry. Uh, since then, I've been preaching nearly every Sunday for the last 18 years, and I've had opportunities to preach on many different uh, books of the Bible and different topicals. Um, as many of you may know that at the end of this month, um, after 16 years of uh, formal ministry, I'll be taking um, an extended sabbatical. I'll be taking six months off. Now, a sabbatical isn't just a holiday. Um, it's not just a break from ministry, but it is a time of uh, reflection and replenishment of the soul. Um, so I'll be taking six months off from church, and during that time, um, I'll be spending some time with family, friends, uh, and most importantly, spending some uh, quality time with God. Um, and, and when people ask, well, what are you going to do, Steve? What, what, what's the goal of your six months? Um, from one of my favorite books, Ordering Your Private World, it's this idea of making sure that my backyard is in check, making sure that my soul is in a healthy place so that once I return, um, the next you know, 10-year period uh, will be sustainable. Um, I'll be in and out of church, um, so please don't treat me like a stranger when I turn up. Um, yeah, and I'm just really grateful. I'm grateful to you, the church, for even allowing the opportunity um, to take time off. Um, I think as a church, um, yeah, it's not easy to take time off, obviously. You need to have your structures I'm up and running, but very grateful to our board, our staff team, and then each and every one of you to be able to do that. Honestly, when I first, when we first planned the sabbatical, I didn't think I really needed it. Um, as I get closer to it, I think I need it. Uh, I, I don't know why, but the more and more closer I get to it, the more and more comfortable I'm feeling about uh, taking some time out. Now, so this is going to be my last series before. Uh, that time, and I really wanted to preach on something that I guess, and, and not to say that I'm not going to come back, but if I wasn't to come back, and if this was going to be my last series, what would it be on? And 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 so I've titled this series "Stories of Grace." And we're going to talk about grace over the next three weeks. What is grace? What's grace in the Bible? And uh, what's grace in our lives? And as I do at the beginning of every new series, I ask my wife, Pastor Mel, to come and pray. For us, I'll ask her to do that. Church, let's pray. Um, Lord, we thank you for your grace. Um, and as Pastor Steve um, preaches on your grace, Lord, we pr I pray that we will really um, have a deeper understanding, a deeper experience and a deeper knowledge of your grace, that you are a gracious God and you desire for us to be a gracious people. So, Lord, I pray over this series. I pray for Pastor Steve. I pray that you will pour out your wisdom and anointing upon him, that as he shares your word and your grace with us, that he will just uh, meet us afresh. Um, and that as we do, Lord, that we would be broken under your grace, that we'll grow under your grace, and that we would really um, receive um, your grace and be filled with joy. So, Lord, I pray over this series, Lord, that you would be magnified, um, that uh, we would see our sin, but we would see the grace that is behind um, every sin that we have committed. Um, and, Lord, I pray that we will just learn to love you more. Um, I pray these things in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Thank you. So what is grace? How do we explain what grace is? I did my research and I found the most intellectual video that I could find to explain what grace was. The problem was I didn't understand the video. And so I found this video that I think we will all understand. What is grace? Let's go to the video. What is grace, the idea? You can define grace with only two words, Pastor Paul. Ahem, grace, unmerited favor. And now it's time to define the definition. What's favor? It's something good, or when someone likes you, or gives you a present. Or does you a favor. To favor someone is to like them or help them. The one you favor the most is called your favorite. That's where that word comes from. To be favored is a very good thing. It means someone is smiling on you, helping you. But what about unmerited? Well, if you merit something, you've earned it. You deserve it. <gasps> like a merit badge. You work for it, and then you've earned it. You've earned the badge. So when something is unmerited, it's something you do not deserve, something you have not earned. So unmerited favor is getting something nice that you don't deserve. Grace is being given something better than what you deserve. And if you want to do more research, you can go to that website. Grace is defined as unmerited favor. Another definition is God's favor towards the unworthy. I love how the video defined that favor something good to like them or help them and unmerited something that you do not deserve. So what is grace? Grace is getting something nice you don't deserve. In the Bible, grace is translated in two words. Uh, chesed, which is the Hebrew word in the Old Testament, that means deliverance from enemies or hardships. And charis, which is the word used in the New Testament, referring to God's salvation of humankind. Today, we're going to look at what grace is does to our sin next week we're going to look at what grace does to our unbelief and the final week we're going to look at what grace does to our brokenness today's passage is from john chapter 8 verse 1 to 8 and as i read this passage i want you to ask yourself where's the grace where's the unmerited favor so let's read john 8 1 to 11 but jesus went to the mount of olives at dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started writing in the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up, said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only 
Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Amen. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the Son of God that was sent to earth to save God's people from their sin. And one of the things that Jesus did was he would teach and preach about who God was, about the kingdom of God. And he would do this in the temple, which was the traditional place of worship. Suddenly, one morning, he's teaching and preaching. And the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders, bring in a woman who is caught in adultery. Now, it's interesting that the description of the woman is not a sinful woman, but is a woman literally caught in the act of adultery. Some scholars say that they literally brought in a woman that was naked, that was literally caught in the act of cheating on her husband. They drag her into the temple, wanting to make a scene, trying to trick Jesus, trying to test him. And they say to Jesus, Jesus in the Old Testament... This woman should be stoned to death because she is caught in sin. What do you think we should do? What do you think? See, in one sense, it was a no-win conversation because if Jesus said, no, you know, we need to love her and we need to protect her, then the, then the, the Pharisees would have been like, well, don't you believe in the Old Testament law? But if... But if Jesus said, well, you need to stone her, you need to kill her, then people would be like, well, but aren't you meant to be a love? And so it was this no-win situation. They're trying to trap Jesus. And then Jesus, in all the things that he could have done, what does he do? He pens over to the ground and starts playing Mr. Squiggle in the sand. Now, you have to be 35 years plus to know who Mr. Squiggle is. If you don't know, you can look it up on YouTube. And he bends down and he starts writing something in the sand and the Pharisees are like, what's going on? What are you doing, Jesus? They keep questioning, Jesus, what shall we do? What shall we do? And then Jesus looks up at them and he says one of the most profound things that he's ever said in his ministry. He says, let any of you, any one of you who is without sin, be the first to throw a stone. And then he goes back to his scribbling. Jesus says, go for it. Old Testament law says that a woman caught in sin, a woman caught in adultery deserves to be stoned to death. That's exactly what she deserves. That's exactly what she's earned in her decisions that she has made in her life. She deserves death. She deserves. That's her merit. But then Jesus challenges and says, but let the one who has no sin, let the one who has never sinned in their life, let the one that is clean, let the one that is pure, throw the first stone. And as we read the story one by one, it's interesting, right? One by one, the older ones first, they drop their stones and they walk away. Why? Because they know they are sinful. Until the point where there is no one around the woman except Jesus. And that's something that's really significant. Because there was one person 
that was without sin, and that was Jesus. Jesus asked the woman, hey, where did everyone go? Is there no one here to condemn you? Is there no one here to make you pay for your sin? And she says, no, there's, there's no one. And then Jesus says this, neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. Two things that we see. There was one without sin, and it was Jesus. That's the whole point of this, this story. One of the things that we need to understand is the difference between Jesus and every single other person on earth is that every single other person has sin, is sinful, commits sin, but not Jesus. That's what makes him holy. That's what makes him stand out. If anyone had a right to throw that stone, it was Jesus. And yet Jesus passes on favor to this sinful woman by passing up what she deserves and instead offering to her a second chance. He releases her, commands her to go and leave her life of sin. What should have happened to this woman? What did she merit? Death. Literally caught red-handed in her sin. But what did she get? She got life. The forgiveness of her sin. That's what favor is. That's the favor. What she got was unmerited favor. What she got was grace. Friends, this is one of many examples of grace that exists in the Bible. But as much as this story is about someone in the Bible, this actual story is also about you. If I was to grab any single person in this room, anyone that's joining us online, and I was to put your life on a PowerPoint, on a video. There is no one that is exempt from their sin. What is sin? Sin is defined as missing the mark. It's like it's an archery term. It's whenever you miss the target. That's what sin is. So what's sin? It's when we miss the mark of God. How God created us, how God wanted us to live. When we don't live that life, when we do our own thing, that's what sin is. Whether it's our thoughts, our actions, word, motivation. Whenever we miss the heart of God, whenever we miss the motivation of God, we sin. We sin. And let's get something very straight. We're all sinners. We are all sinners. There is not a single person in this room that is innocent of missing the mark of God. It doesn't matter how long you've been coming to church. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how holy you think you are. There is not a single person that is not sinful. And the Bible tells us this, Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single person in this room, actually every single person in this world, falls short of the standard of God. I read a sign at a, in front of a church near my house, and it said this. It said, don't judge others just because they sin differently to you. So true, right? We're all guilty of sin. We're all guilty. We have to acknowledge this. Now, I know there are people that can't. They choose not to. 
And, and that in itself is sinful. That's pride. Can we acknowledge that we're sinful? That we miss the mark of God in our lives? See, the problem is not just that we sin, but it's the consequence of sin. The Bible tells us that there is a consequence for all sin. And Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is what? Is death. The Bible says that the consequence of our sin, the consequence of the cost of our sin is not just a slap on the wrist, it's not just a warning, but it's death, spiritual death. I think sometimes we forget this. I think sometimes we just think that sin is when we do something bad, and if we do something good to make up for it, then it's even. It's not like that. Every single one of our sin, every sing- the standard is not you and me. We're not comparing each other. Okay, we're comparing with God, right? We're living in God's world. And in His world, in His economy, He says, here's the standard. And if you don't meet that standard, here's the result. Sin results in death. And here's the point. You can't make up for it. You know, sometimes we, we teach our children this. If you do one bad thing, okay, go and do a good thing, and then it makes up for it, and then it evens out. But it doesn't work like that. We can never earn our merit with God. It doesn't matter how good you are or how good you think you are. It will never outweigh our bad. It will never outweigh our sin. And because of that, The result is we deserve to die. And I know that this is not a very popular message, but it is the biblical message. And I know you might be like, this is so harsh. This is so harsh. You know, like, how can you say that a murderer, someone who has killed someone, and and I are in the same boat? And I'm telling you, it's not your standard. It's God's standard. And from God's perspective, sin needs to be punished. And the punishment for sin is death. But the good news is this. Jesus, the Son of God, is sent to earth by God. And he dies on the cross. Death. The payment for all sins of mankind. The death that we deserve, that we earned, that we merited. Jesus takes that. And he takes that to the cross. And instead of us having to pay our dues for our sin, we get his favor. Romans 6.23, the, the whole verse says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What we deserve is death, but what we get is life. And we call that grace, unmerited favor. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 reads, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Each of these components is so important for us to understand. Each of these components is so important for us to truly understand what the gospel is. One, we are sinful. 
Like, you, you have to be honest. And you have to be able to look at yourself in the mirror in a way and, 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 and not, not judge it at, at, at our world's level. It's God's standard. And you've got to be able to look at yourself in the mirror, in the eyes of God, and think, do I match the standard of God? Do I reach the standard of God? And I'm telling you, no one does. No one comes close. But see, when we don't really understand the depth of our sin, and when we don't understand that the penalty for our sin is death, and not just some warning or just some slap on the wrist, but is spiritual death, eternal death. If we recognize those things, then when we understand that Jesus died on the cross for our sin, suddenly that becomes a lot more meaningful. Suddenly, it becomes impossible for us to ignore the importance of who Jesus is to us. There are three things that you need to understand. And this is what we call the gospel. Number one, we are all sinful. We all miss the mark of God. Number two, Jesus died for the sinful. He paid the penalty for our sin. Number three, when we trust in Jesus, we get his grace. We don't get our merit. We don't get what we deserve but we get what he gives to us, and that's life. The naked woman was found guilty, brought before the teachers of the law. How embarrassing and shameful that would have been. And she deserves to die. She deserved to die. Sentenced to death. Can I tell you, friend, that's each and every one of us. And you might be very good at hiding your sin. You might be very good at at covering it up. But friends, deep down inside, behind the masks, the thoughts, sorry, the thoughts, the feelings, right? Inside each and every one of us is darkness, Some of us have acted on it better than others. As I said, don't judge just because someone sins better than you or worse than you or differently to you. How embarrassing and shameful it would be if I were to put your life on this screen, every thought that you had, every intention, every desire, every motivation, you you would not be able to show your face. But it's only when we recognize the deep darkness and the deep need of, we, of, of the need of salvation is how important Jesus becomes to us and how much we need his grace in our lives. And here's the beauty. Here's the beauty. There is not a single sin. There is not a single sin that you have committed in your life. There is not a single sin that you are involved in right now. There is not a single sin. Here's the beauty, right? Even in the future. That Jesus 
that the grace of Jesus doesn't cover. And we think, what do many? How does Jesus cover our future sin? Can I tell you, friend, God is not surprised at your sin. It's not like you suddenly sin and God goes, I didn't know you could do that. God knows. And actually, when he sent Jesus to die on the cross, he already knew. There is not a single sin that the blood of Jesus doesn't cover. As long as we put our trust in him and only him, turn away from everything else, our world, other religions, our selfishness, our worldly desires. His grace will be ready for us to receive. And I'm telling you, friend, you and I, we need this grace. We need it. At the age of uh, 39, I realized more and more how sinful I am. If I was to share my life with you on this screen, to show you my inner thoughts and desires, I would be that naked, shameful, embarrassed sinner. And yet Jesus, who had every right to condemn me to death, chose to take that death upon himself and instead give me something that I didn't deserve, that I could never earn. And that was eternal life, the forgiveness of sins, and a relationship with God our Father. This is my story of grace. And friends, this is your story of grace. Let's pray.